do think this idea of holding on to your power or using your power is tied up with this idea of wanting or feeling like you have to be perfect all the time. And when you free yourself, exactly like you said, to allow yourself to make mistakes and allow others to make mistakes in, in your presence, that's where things can really happen and change. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. Hi, this is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and welcome to Breaking Money Silence. I am here today with my friend and colleague, Beth Milkovitz. She is a uh, relationship manager in the private wealth management group at Brown Brother and Harriman's, uh, which is in Boston. She is also the director of uh, the New England part of the Center for Women and Wealth. And Beth and I have been friends and colleagues for probably about 15 years now. We tend to connect on and off at meetings and uh, share information, but also share a good laugh. So I thought I would have her on as a guest for the Women, Money, and Power series. Welcome, Beth, to the podcast. Thank you so much, Kathleen. I'm really happy to be here. I wanted to just start and, and share a personal story with you and see if it's ever kind of happened in your experience, in your work, not only as a female in a male-dominated industry, but also as somebody who works a lot with uh, women entrepreneurs at a high level. And so, you know, I've shared lots of these stories with you before, Beth. But, you know, when I think about some of the gender bias that I have received in my profession, it, it tends to be not that much, but occasionally pretty blatant. And so the most blatant example I can give you is that I actually was um, being considered for a keynote presentation. And within a brief conversation, I learned that the male keynote was getting $20,000 uh, for his fee and that they wanted me to volunteer volunteer my time because I was a woman and that would be a nice thing to do. And so that's a very blatant example. But do you see some of that stuff come up in the work that you do? Yes, I definitely do see that. I think that, you know, we see this a lot with entrepreneurs in in many ways, why women's women-led businesses aren't getting the funding that men men-led businesses are getting. And I think that that's sort of this top tier that we're really seeing blatant bias. But I believe, like you said, it all trickles back to, you know, you mentioned this doesn't happen to you often, but when it does, it is so blatant. And I think that that sort of comes back to how clients are treated as investors even. And so women just aren't talked to about investments. I feel that boys and men are first, you know, have these conversations, get comfortable with them, and they are viewed as people who talk about money and who it's right for them to talk about money, whereas women are not viewed that way. And so even at the very top levels where you're asking for money to fund a company, I think that there's just this layer beyond trying to prove that you have a good idea and that you're a worthy person to invest in. But there's this extra layer of like, you're a woman and you shouldn't be talking about this. 
just like you're a woman, Kathleen, so you shouldn't need a speaker's fee because we only have a certain amount of money and we've allocated it to the man. And I feel like that's kind of the feeling from the very top about women getting paid, about you know equal pay, about women raising money for businesses and ideas that they have, and also all the way down to women even investing. So when they're talking to people about how to invest, women are not getting the, I don't believe, um, always getting the attention and and that is paid to men in those same arenas. Yeah, you know, and you're really doing a nice job of articulating the fact that it's at multi-levels. So you could be an owner of a company looking for funding or investment for that company, and there's even research out there that supports that men who are looking for money from venture capitalists are asked very different questions than women. You can also be, you know, a, an entrepreneur like myself and, and notice the bias there. And when you're working with a financial advisor, Often what the financial advisor, male or female financial advisor, will present to you might be slightly different based on your gender. What do you think can be done about this? I mean, we all know it's a problem. You and I could go in and share many, many stats about it. But any woman out there knows that there's this experience of being like, well, wait a second, I'm smarter than that. Or yes, I can be financially powerful. Any idea about what we can do about it? There's something happening in our culture where, you know, we are women are allowed to go to school now. It's not strange, you know, and women are colleagues and it's not always as the secretary, but there's this institutional and almost ideological viewpoint of gender that that's the part that we're trying to break now. And so it's very difficult to say, oh, here's how you should, how we can fix it. I do think that some of the ways to fix it is by acknowledging it and talking about it and recognizing that we all have, and we all, as you mentioned before, we all have these ideas. There's that study where you look at a resume of it's the exact same resume and, and one of them says the person is Harry and the other one says the person is Harriet and Harriet just doesn't get hired. And I think that, you know, we're dealing with very deep held beliefs that we don't even know we have. And that's why it's so hard to come up with a solution because First, we have to uncover this issue that is unconscious in, in all of us and in, in our society. And that's what it's been really interesting sort of looking at this through the Center for Women and Wealth, through the conversations that we've had and the conferences that we go to and kind of picking away at this because the data is showing, you know, we're all there. We're there at the beginning. We know, like you said, we can do this. But something happens and we're not showing up at the higher levels or we're not getting funded or we're, our businesses are not um, making it, not across the board, but that seems to be the case in when you get into the higher levels of business owners. Well, and, and what's interesting is the idea that, you know, we're at this place where we're acknowledging it. And mm-hmm. even ourselves, you and I, you know, we're talking about it. It's not like you and I don't have biases. We both acknowledge that we have biases. But we're talking about it. We don't have a really good solution. I mean, one of the things right. that I've uh, tossed around with other thought leaders in the field is the idea of gender bias training. And there's a big debate. Do you reinforce negative stereotypes by doing gender bias training? Or are you actually helping by identifying that we have these conscious and unconscious thoughts? And, you know, I know you do a lot of work at the Center uh, for Women and Wealth. And I don't know if you've done any uh, gender bias training there or seen other models that have worked. But what do you think? Do you think, I mean, talking about it's one thing, but are we making it worse by talking about it or are we making it better? Right. I think that if we just do training, we're making it worse. It's sort of HR mandated or whatever it is, like here's the training. I think it has to be coupled with actually committing to difficult conversations 
and culture change and humor. I really do believe that like being straightforward and having a good sense of humor when talking about this so that we're giving people the benefit of the doubt and when something happens to sort of point it out in a, in, I don't mean to take away from the um, gravity of the situation with the humor, but I do think that's a really important tool that we can use to sort of bring people's awareness to these things. So, I mean, even in the conversations you and I have, we laugh 90% of the time because <laughs> I, I think that that's part of it. I think that, you know, when these realizations happen or these, we tell these stories, you just like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that that happened to you or to me or to this person. And so I just, I really believe it needs to be, it can't just be a check the box thing. I do think the training is a good way to start. And actually, I don't know if you've seen them, but McKinsey has some really great gender bias videos that I think it's exactly that kind of humor where, you know, a man is going out and his wife is going to have a baby and the manager sits him down and says, I hear you're having a baby. That's really exciting. Blah, blah. Do you think you're going to come back after your parental leave? <laughs> I right? love that. Yeah, that in itself is funny. It, exactly. And it's so, it just sort of jars you a little bit. It's funny. We're not putting fingers, but it, it makes you realize how ridiculous this really is when we ask anybody that question. So I do think it can be, if it's done right, if it's not just like, okay, because the, the, it's actually, I think, been proven that people who do bias training in any sense, if that's all they do and they've checked the box, they can actually become more biased because they feel like, well, I've done that. So now I'm not biased anymore. And they're not actually paying attention to their behaviors. So oh, it can be really that's detrimental. Yeah. yeah, I do. Isn't that fascinating? It is fascinating. I think with the humor part, I mean, I get what you're saying. You're not laughing at the topic. But I feel like right. if we don't take ourselves so seriously and we're able to give ourselves and other people the leeway to not be perfect around it. I know today we're talking exactly. about gender, but I feel like the same thing with race, that once I freed yes. myself up to be like, okay, you're going to mess up. You're not going to know, but find people who already care for you, already respect you to explore and ask questions and, and learn more. And I feel like it's a similar thing with with when men and women and, and gender conversations. I completely agree. And I also love that you brought up perfection, because I think that that's something that holds women back with the money power discussions is this, this drive to be perfect and to not take risks as much, which again, I do not, I don't think women don't take risks, but I do think this idea of holding onto your power or using your power is tied up with this idea of wanting or feeling like you have to be perfect all the time. And when you free yourself, exactly like you said, to allow yourself to make mistakes and allow others to make mistakes in, in your presence, that's where things can really happen and change. Well, and with the this has come up a lot in the Women and Money and Power series is the, the whole idea of women and risk and women business owners and risk. And, you know, I haven't thought a lot about this, but I'll throw it out there in terms of, of gender and risk. And I know let's put all the research aside. Right. We know what all the research yeah. says. But if I think about the women in my life that are successful, they've all taken risks. It may be a financial risk. Mm -hmm. It may be a different type of risk. But they've all said, OK, I'm just going to you know, I'm going to just go for this and pray it works out. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but if you never take the risk, then you're never going to know. But I wonder why that is. You know, I wonder if we're socialized to not do that um, as much as men. Or is it OK for men to take a bunch of risks and, and fail? And somehow if we take one and fail, we're, we're out of the game. I, I don't know. What, what have right. you seen with the work that you're doing? 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is fascinating. And there's a there's, actually, we just had a conversation yesterday about this, and it, and it was fascinating. So I think I feel like the first part is, yes, I think we're socialized starting from a very young age. And so even if you think about what little boys and little girls are being told as they go out on the playground, you know, like girls are told, be careful, you know, when they climb high, be careful, or don't get hurt, or don't get your clothes dirty. And boys are actually encouraged to take more risks. And, you know, and that's a great thing. I also think the idea, like you just said about taking risks and failing, I think right now, and I don't think it should be like this, or hopefully it won't be like this forever, but it is far more consequential for a woman to fail as say as a CEO right now than it is for a man. And I think this has everything to do with the same reasons that men get funded more. We're all looking at the potential of men and the past of women. And so that whole idea, and, and this is one of the conversations I was just recently having with a group about how women CEOs are often brought in as a company is going off a cliff and they, they're, that's a huge risk, right? <laughs> they want to take this <laughs> yes, challenge, yeah. on, right? And they want to, and they're, and they probably would do, like, they, they work really hard. They can, they do the best they can. If that company fails, and the question is, it would be interesting to see this, like, I don't know if more women take on that job than men, but. What you hear about is when a company sells that a woman was the CEO of, that woman cannot get a job again. She can't. And and actually, Julie Wainwright is a good example of that, where she was the CEO of PetSmart, um, and which was going downhill when she took it over. It went off the cliff, and she had to actually start her own business to become a CEO again, which is Rent the Runway, which just recently went public. So she's a really interesting example of somebody that this happened to, and she, she kept going and took the CEO back herself. But that doesn't tend to happen with men. It's sort of all these excuses are made and the company was already going up and he did such a great job in these areas. I think he'd be great for this next job. And it's, and that I see a lot and it starts, I feel like it really does start on the playground. Well, and I have to share when you started to talk about the playground stuff, I flash back to little Kathy, all muddy, <laughs> sliding down <laughs> into a mud bath, running around. And, and I can't say it was reinforced as a positive thing in my family, but I don't think I listened to that message. I was like, I'm having fun. So well, I think that shows right through right today. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. And, and I haven't mm-hmm. thought about the CEO. And, you know, I've certainly thought about how CEOs that are women are viewed differently than men. But the fact that, you know, often they're brought in when the ship's going down is kind of interesting. And, and I do know, when you even look at politics, women who have worked for companies that have not done well or they're held accountable, and then somehow that makes them a bad politician where you don't yes. see. I mean, I, I don't even want to mention Trump, but I will. That isn't the case with men. Roger's rolling right. his eyes because I don't usually you know, get political, let alone mention our president. <laughs> but I digress. Back to you, Beth. What do you think? Actually, what's interesting, I do have a, I'm not going to comment on that exactly, but I do have a a neat story that I think seems to sort of, because I feel like a lot of this is the socialization. And we talk a lot about sort of this confidence gap. And I don't know if that's, it's interesting because I wonder if women don't actually feel confident or if they're not supposed to show it. And it's exactly what you said about asking, right? What you said about asking, you know, you have a fee and 
you're not going to get paid that fee. And it's a little like, I, I don't know if you were made to feel this way, but I have seen this happen where women who are asking for a fee or, you know, it's kind of like, why, who do you think you are? It's like, I think I'm a, I'm a business owner who has something to sell. Right. Like, right. Yeah. But, I can't give it away you and know? pay the rent, but thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Like what are, what are we thinking? So this woman, um, in this group I was at with last night, she talks about, she is, she runs her own investment banking mergers and acquisitions firm. Now she started at Goldman Harvard grad has incredible experience as an analyst and working her way up and knows this business and has been in it for 25, 30 years. So she's sitting with two men and she actually, and they were, you know, meeting and I think going to go over a deal together or something. And she really um, curtailed her past because she didn't want, she had had the experience in the past where she spoke about her experience, her extensive experience and expertise, and it made the men that she was talking to extremely uncomfortable. And so she thought, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. So I'll just sort of say, yeah, you know, I, I went to college and I graduated and now I have my little firm or something like that. And she said, then the reaction she got was that they were like, took over, you know, oh, okay, well, you don't know anything. So now I'm going to take over this whole thing. And and we tried to unpack this. It's almost like a catch-22. Like how much confidence can you show before the detrimental effects start showing up, right? So you don't want to be completely, you know, act like you don't know anything, but if you actually attribute all of your experience and expertise to yourself, you're going to be seen as, you know, making people uncomfortable or making people wonder why you're bragging about yourself. And it was just a fascinating, you know, we talked about, she's like, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't say that. I mean, these are the feelings I have, but it's hard to strike that balance. There is yeah. a very insidious way in which you're told to mm, don't be too full of yourself. And so you want to be confident yeah. because confidence, first of all, it feels good internally to be confident. Second of all, in business, confidence is really key. But as a woman, there's that backlash. And I think that story you just shared is so, so clear as to what the backlash is. I mean, I've received messages. Usually they're not overt. Sometimes they are overt that basically said I'm too profit motivated when I started in the business. Right. And I thought, well, I mean, this is a business. And right, you're a business owner. I'm a business owner. And I, I don't think my male counterparts are getting that same message of don't be so profit oriented. Right. And it's and part right. of the problem, quite frankly, Beth, and, and I think you agree, but if you don't, that's fine. I think women are really bad to women, too. I don't think it's just the way we're being perceived by men. No, I think that is the the sort of internalization of the gender bias, right? So we almost think that we certainly, I, I mean, I can, speaking for myself, like I know I have inter internalized some of this and I can tell you a little bit about that later, but also that we internalize these things about ourselves and our fellow women. And so I don't know who it was who was talking to you about, you know, not paying you, but I wouldn't be surprised if that were a woman. I mean, I feel like it's not the... Just like we started off, I it think, actually too, was with, a woman. Um, I'm going to just jump in. It, it was another yeah. woman. Yes. And I'm not surprised. And you people, I think, would be surprised. And I'm not saying that women are all mean and mean to other women or blah, blah, blah. It's, I don't think it's about that. I think it's about internalizing the, these societal beliefs. And so then we have knee-jerk reactions that say, like, well, this is a woman, so she's going to be nice. So she's not going to care if I pay her or not because she wants to do this for me because she's a nice person. And that happens in, like, three-tenths of a second, and you make this insane request that somebody works for you for free while you're also saying you're paying somebody else. So it's um, I, I totally think that 
it all goes back, you know, when they have that, um, there's that little, that study when kids are before the age of five and they say, what gender is the smartest girls will say girls and boys will say boys. And then after six boys will say boys and girls will say boys. Oh, <laughs> like I hadn't horrifying. heard of that. That is horrifying. Right. It, uh, and so I think that's right. Like that's happening since you were running around after jumping into a mud puddle. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And, you know, with my psychology background, I mean, there's also a a, a real severe dip in women's self-esteem, young girls' self-esteem around 12 when they start to um, mature and start to, uh, you know, figure out, wow, it's really important for me to be in relationship with somebody. So how am I in relationship with somebody and also competing with someone and taking care of myself and how complicated that gets and a little less complicated for men? You know, our time is running slow, but I I mean running out, but I really want to get a sense of what's that story about internal gender bias? Because I think that's something else we don't talk about is, is how we carry it in us. So yeah, so this was, um, we had talked a little bit about, so I was going to talk about this story about embracing financial power. So I don't know if you want me to do that now, or if you want to. You pick whatever story works for you, Beth. (laughs) Because so basically, I think about this a lot. And I think about how I react in myself. And what we were just talking about was a little bit more knee-jerk reaction, I think. But I do, I do think, how would I treat myself if I were my friend telling myself this story? And I try to keep that in mind when I'm in a situation that I feel something is going wrong. So essentially what happens is when something is happening that something went wrong or there's some issue, I immediately blame myself. I don't think about, I don't take a deep breath and think about like, huh, how did this go wrong? Who's involved? What happened? I just think like I get this wave of anxiety that, and I think, oh my gosh, I messed something up and I must fix it. And I'm a little, I'm not a little, I'm frantic. I am very frantic and anxious in these moments. And I immediately betray myself because a lot of the time it's not something I did. Yet I still have immediately said, oh, I'm so sorry, or I will fix this, or I, I just totally turn on myself in those moments. And so I've internalized this, like, this must be my fault. I must have done something wrong. It sort of goes to the gender thing. It goes to unconscious bias against myself thing. It goes to the perfection thing. Something didn't go wrong. I must not be perfect. So what I'm really thinking about working on this year, and, and you know, I would encourage if it, not everybody, I'm sure, feels this way, but I have talked to other people who immediately blame themselves for things too. And that, you know, part of embracing power, whether it's any kind of power as a woman or as a person, it doesn't have to be aggressive. I mean, I think sometimes it might seem like you must, you know, take that power and be strong. And there's times for that. But even in this case, keeping my power is just being calm and taking a deep breath and asking questions rather than jumping to the conclusion that I messed up. And that's something that I um, have been thinking about and continue to work on. I feel like we need like five more segments with Beth because I feel like we've talked about societal bias and ambivalence about women, money, and power, internal gender bias, external workplace gender bias, and now this whole concept about power and how I love that distinction that power doesn't have to be I'm grabbing the power. It can be very calmly saying I'm not going to turn against myself. I'm going to um, take some time and be calm and and be confident and figure this out. So you raised so many, so many good points. I'm hoping that the audience enjoyed our back and forth because we do this a fair amount when we see each other at uh, events. (laughs) And I always enjoy it. And I'm always left with both like 
satisfaction of having the conversation, but then like, oh, no, best raise five new ideas um, <laughs> <laughs> for me to well, ponder. Been, yeah, well, it, I feel the same way. And this has been wonderful. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I love your podcast and the work that you do. And I love our conversation. Yeah, thank you. So I want to I want to just hear before I let you go a little bit about um, how the Center for Women and Wealth at uh, Brown Brother and Harriman is addressing the issues around women and wealth? I know that's a big question, but what do you want to highlight for our audience? I'll, I'll highlight three three things that sort of touch on broadly on, on what we've talked about. And so I think the first one is, in, you know, at Brown Brothers, a, a culture change through, like we talked about, through changing, sorry, through training, but also through discussion and being willing to lead by example and have hard conversations when necessary, and also being willing as a team to think about how we use humor in those instances. And so that's broader than just gender, as we talked about, but it is part of that. And the Center for Women and Wealth has been instrumental in that sort of culture change at Brown Brothers. Also thinking about the way that we work with clients. And so these are the kinds of things like um, the simple checklists that we can, Iris Bonet from the Harvard Kennedy School talked a lot about how to work outside of your unconscious bias. And it's so practical. And so simply, you know, making sure that you have both client names in the two section or that you're including both spouses, if there are spouses or, or partners, in, in your, your um, communications with them, inviting everybody to meetings, making sure everybody can make it. So really engaging clients. And that can be done very simply with like reminders and checklists on sort of protocol about how to communicate and then lastly, through specifically the Center for Women and Wealth and our Women in, our Women in Wealth magazine, we really believe that women business leaders should be seen by other women and by everyone. And so we have a monthly magazine that goes out and the cover, we show a woman business leader, maybe a woman who's starting a business, maybe somebody in the executive or CEO suite. And we just think you can't, you can't be what you can't see, right? Like we, we all have our ideas of, you know, what a CEO looks like or what a strong business leader looks like. And we're trying to put women up there on that board so that when we all think about what a strong CEO or strong business leader looks like, we see women as well. I love that magazine. It comes to my house. I know you can also get it digitally. It's really a great magazine yeah. to stay on top of and, and really read about women entrepreneurs and business owners and women in, in charitable situations doing some really great work. So um, thank you for, for bringing those things up. Can people get that magazine if they want to, or where can they find out more information about you and your work? Yes, they definitely can. And so you can go to bbh.com slash women and wealth. And there on the website, you can sign up to get an electronic copy or a hard copy of the magazine, which does come out quarterly. Great, great. And so I am asking everyone who's part of this series to leave the audience with one tip about how to embrace their financial power. What's the tip you would leave our audience with today? I think the tip I would leave, and I, I hope I'm not doubling up here, but I really do think to really believe you know more than you think you know. And what might help with that is imagine talking to a friend about the situation you're in, whether it's if you're about to make a financial decision or you're about to go into a meeting to raise money for your company or if you are you know, making a, a decision as a CEO or a leader of your business that's going to have a big consequence and you're worried about, you know, I don't know, what should I do? Should I take this risk? Take a second, 
stay calm. <laughs> um, and maybe think about somebody in your life. Like I might think about you, Kathleen, and say, Why, if I you. were to explain a situation, and I definitely would, if I were to explain the situation to Kathleen, what would she say to me? And listen to that. Really think about that and listen to that because I think that we can all use, you know, sort of being our own friend sometimes. I love that tip, uh, not only because it mentions me by name, but I also love that tip because it's being compassionate to yourself. And it's also a, you know, believe in yourself is one thing, but giving people a tool on working on how to do that is so important. As always, I love breaking money silence with you, Beth. So thank you so much for participating in the podcast today. Thank you, Kathleen. I look forward to talking to you again soon. If you've enjoyed this series on women, money, and power, and you have a question or a comment, please send an email to me at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com, or you can tag me on Twitter at KBK Speaks. Also, subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast app, or you can go to breakingmoneysilence.com. Until next time, dare to break money silence. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.